Uh, I want to dive right into our conversation by starting with uh, last night and the unanimous vote by the school board to ratify a one-year extension to the teacher's contract. Sometimes these contract negotiations can be protracted and difficult, and this one came together very, very easily. How did that happen? Well, first of all, I, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the collaborative spirit that we have with the Springfield Education Association right now. Uh, it's been going well, and we we know that we're all up against some really tough topics. And, you know, any time that we have to deal with just change in working conditions and, and the change in the uh, lives of our students each and every day, it's heavy work. Uh, but we've really all, you know, sort of picked up the pieces and, and worked together and that was greatly appreciated. And, of course, along with that came conversations around contract language as well. Uh, and so, uh, again, it's another uh, it's a one year extension uh, coming off a very challenging year and challenges still to come. So let, let's look a little bit ahead to the future and what uh, education at Springfield looks like come the fall of 2021. You have uh, stated here and elsewhere uh, that you do expect uh, most students, almost all, in fact, to be back in classrooms five days a week this fall. Uh, but you mentioned last night there could be some mitigations. Do you have any sense yet as to what that looks like? Will students have to wear masks? Will they have to wear masks if they're not vaccinated? Will you be uh, requiring proof of vaccination? How, how's that all going to work? Well, you know, I would say that cautious optimism it has been leading my my thought process as we go forward. And, and I think it's a, a hopeful future is ahead of us. Uh, which makes us feel better than where we are maybe this time last year, for sure. I know that um, the Illinois State Board of Education is going to take action on a resolution tomorrow that will really help us understand the future of our return to learn and the things that we might be able to expect. So I always do uh, wait until I speak with absolutes, until I get that guidance from the Illinois State Board of Education and make sure that I take the lead from them. I'm assuming that this will require, um, will ask us to consider certain uh, pieces of the puzzle uh, as we go back to school. Um, I can't say for sure whether or not masks will be required. I think it does uh, really depend on whether or not we're fully into stage, stage five. Uh, whether we go out of, you know, the emergency uh, declaration, uh, disaster declaration that we have at this point in time, um, all of those things will come into play. And that decision could be made very late in the summer based on the conditions and the and the spread of, of COVID-19 at that point in time. Our focus right now, of course, is providing those clinics, uh, making sure that we have opportunities for our students to get vaccinated, uh, helping spread uh, the news about the vaccination and where they can get information so that they can make the best informed decision for, for themselves and for their families. Um, and just really encourage families to consider it on, on all angles so that, you know, we can make sure that we're helping do our part in District 186. Um, I know you had a long question, but I'll, I'll take another one and we can Step away at it. I appreciate it. You know, along the same lines, District 186 and, and all schools in Illinois require any number of vaccinations for students to be able to attend classes in person. Is there any talk about the COVID vaccination being required for students who are eligible? We know that right now that's only 12 and up, although we could see that expanded to younger ages uh, at some point this fall. Uh, is there any discussion that a COVID vaccination will be required for in-person instruction? 
Well, you know, I think at this point I have not heard that. We do follow school code on which vaccinations are required by law. And at this point in time, that would take a legislative, um, you know, kind of event in order for us to have that as one of our required vaccinations. Um, I do want to remind all families that we do have many other vaccinations that are required by law. So make sure you're getting those appointments and, and getting that, uh, the physicals and your immunizations taken care of now um, and throughout the early summer so that you don't have to worry about that um, as we return to the school year. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccination is readily available uh, for those students that are 12 and up. And we will also continue to offer clinics not only to help students that need their regular physicals and immunizations, but also uh, getting the COVID uh, vaccine as well. Um, and so those are all things that, that we have to consider right now. Uh, we have not made, you know, any decisions to mandate that on our own, and nor will we. I think that we need to follow the Illinois School Code along those lines. Is there any sense that there would be different rules or restrictions in place for unvaccinated students compared to those who were vaccinated? That, for example, students who were vaccinated and can show proof of it uh, would be allowed to go without masks, but unvaccinated students would not be allowed to. Uh, is that a, a possibility? Has that been discussed at all? Um, the, the wearing of masks has not yet been discussed, but we have to, we already are implementing that if you're vaccinated, you do not have to quarantine if you come in contact with a close contact or a positive case uh, throughout your workday or in your home. So that is a big plus to not have to stay at home from school, uh, whether it's work uh, as a teacher or a staff member or whether it's uh, schooling as a child. Um, so that is a big benefit to that. We are also looking at, you know, doing the shield testing as we go into summer school and next fall. We've been meeting and, and kind of finalizing our guidelines around that. And we don't know that you probably will not have to get tested if you've been vaccinated. Uh, so those are things that, that are going to be benefits to getting that vaccination uh, besides the regular benefit of, of possibly not getting and contracting COVID-19. Uh, to the SHIELD testing, as you noted, you wouldn't have to be tested if you have been vaccinated. But will the SHIELD testing be required for students who uh, are unvaccinated or, or can't show proof of vaccination? Will they have to submit to the SHIELD test? Um, we are looking at what our guidelines will be. And that's something I just had a, a long meeting with the SHIELD um, organization today. Uh, that is run by the University of Illinois system uh, to get some of the details and the contract in place. Um, we do not, we can kind of design our own method as we go forward. Uh, we are looking at requiring it um, and what the possibilities of the legal um, ins and outs would be around any of people playing contact sports uh, that have to be within that close proximity of one another uh, during practices, during the summer, and then into the fall. Uh, we are also looking at, you know, making sure that we do an opt-in form, and that way we can also catalog those students who have gotten the vaccine for our contact tracing needs and make sure we know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. Uh, that will make things a lot easier. Uh, we will always, like any, with any medical procedure or medical um, tests, we want to make sure we have parent permission to do so. So there will be a waiver form um, and sign-off format in order to participate in the testing. Um, our goal would be to test 50% of all of our um, members of our school that are not vaccinated on um, any given week or during any given week. So the tests are, are planned to be weekly then, uh, at least for, as you said, up to 50% yes. of the, of the um, unvaccinated population? 
Right. Best practice would tell you to um, test twice a week uh, because the um, kind of incubation period of COVID-19 is 48 hours. So you come in contact with somebody within 48 hours, you can spread that to others or contract that and, and develop symptoms. And so if you're doing that like every other day, like a Monday and a Thursday, for instance, if we're testing um, all students who are uh, not vaccinated in a school, or if there's a large number of students and we can't get through um, all of them, we could do, you know, freshmen and sophomore on Mondays and juniors and seniors on Thursdays, uh, just to keep that regular testing going on so that we're trying to catch um, the virus in that pre-symptomatic stage. And we know when we catch it at pre-symptomatic, it has less um, chance of being spread further into the school community. But if you're not requiring it, if students and their parents can opt out of it uh, and they're not vaccinated, how effective will the shield testing be if any number of students can just simply say, I don't want to be a part of it? Well, and I think I said to you earlier, we're, we had to have this meeting today and now we'll be working with our legal counsel to see uh, really what we can and can't do in terms of requiring it, because I agree exactly with what you said. If you're not vaccinated and we can require you to get the saliva test uh, once to twice a week or to participate in any uh, contact sports, we feel like that's the very best way to make sure that this virus is not spreading any further. We hope that we're in the final stage of, of this um, pandemic, and we hope that this testing is just one additional piece that will help us uh, really help knock this out. So that's kind of where we are right now. I know that having more answers is where I would love to be right now, but we, we take one step at a time and, and make sure that we're doing everything correctly along the way. Springfield School Superintendent Jennifer Gill is with us. Uh, Superintendent of the year that is now drawing to a close, and we know it's been full of challenges, fully remote in the first semester, and then uh, some students remote, some students in person in the uh, second semester. Uh, what's the upshot of this in terms of student performance? What percentage of students will finish this year essentially failing, not meeting uh, the, the grades that they need to, to meet in order to advance? Uh, and will that be able to be addressed during summer school or will some students have to be held back after all of this? Well, you know, it, it's this pandemic is not anybody's fault. And so punishment is not the way we're looking. We're looking more towards boosting and providing opportunities not only for summer learning, uh, to make sure that they're they're given a boost and able to take that next step with their learning, whether it be credit recovery uh, for a failed semester or course during the school year, or whether it just be uh, reteaching and, and learning and, and providing opportunities to gain content that they may have missed. We are very um, worried about the level of, of failures that we've seen across, you know, middle and high school and elementary, just having those um, gaps in learning uh, that we've seen some students who haven't had as good of attendance or have not engaged in remote learning as well as others. Um, so it is our job in the fall to, um, you know, make sure that we address that through our pacing, through our reteaching, through uh, making sure that we're using our assessment in a way that helps us build a program of success for each and every student, uh, rather than just retaining and, and really almost saying to the student it's their fault, but yet say, hey, we had some really tough circumstances last year. We're going to provide all of these opportunities for you to get to where you need to go. Uh, so I think you'll see some um, creative uh, things in place in the fall uh, so that we can provide more supports for students. And then obviously we have increased our summer boost program 
uh, beyond what it's ever been before. We generally just usually have one elementary program. We're going to have five now. Uh, we have usually only have one middle school program, and we have all five uh, middle schools are going to offer a summer boost, including Isles, um, which would be six. And then we're also going to provide all uh, three high schools will have summer programming as well. So with all of those in place, we're hoping that students that may have gotten behind and need to get back on track will, will do so and take that seriously. Uh, continue that work into next school year, and then if students don't get on board when we're in a more normal um, interactive setting with students, you know, then it's going to be on the students to have to make that up at some point. Something else you mentioned at last night's meeting uh, talking about the fall was improvements to HVAC systems, and you referenced uh, a, a device, a, an ionization device that you said might uh, help to uh, to get COVID-19 out of the air if, uh, if if it's being transmitted through the air, that this can, can help to uh, eliminate that. Uh, I, I did just a very brief Google search on it today and found a couple of articles kind of questioning this technology and suggesting maybe it isn't as effective as what it's been purported to be. Tell us a bit about that and how confident are you that, that this actually would make a meaningful difference in terms of student health and safety? Well, you know, there's a lot of research projects that are out there on this very uh, notion of, of air purification and air quality. So when you think of in, indoor air strategies that could be implemented in schools or improved in schools, it really goes across several functions. One, making sure that you upgrade the MERV rating of your air filters that are in your HVAC systems, and we are committed to that uh, to make sure that they're at the ASHRAE level or MERV rating of 13. Um, and some of our systems will only accept 11 because they're a little bit older unit. So as we upgrade them, making sure that we're looking to upgrade our air filters at that level, and then we can switch those air filters out uh, more normally. That's basically what we do in our homes, um, you know, to keep our own HVAC systems up and going. Uh, we can look at air cleaners with HEPA filters. Uh, we can look at increasing outdoor air supply. Uh, we can make sure we just open windows on a nice day and get that air ventilation in. And then we can make sure we're using fans to circulate air um, in classrooms and in the building. And then we can really do some um, HVAC system work in the evenings post-occupancy um, or before occupancy. That's called um, kind of flushing of the air, uh, where you recycle in some fresh air every morning and every evening after students leave. So the... Um, the ion units that you mentioned, um, their their goal is to, uh, they kind of emit uh, polarized ions that bond with, you know, different molds and viruses, uh, and that renders them kind of their flyers. So it renders them kind of, they die basically um, in the air. So it is something that is next gen. Uh, and so we're looking into that and getting some bids and, and seeing if that's something that, that we could um, afford utilizing some of our ESSER dollars uh, from the federal government. Um, but then also we we purchased a lot of standalone um, HEPA filters that are just your um, kind of high-functioning industrial size or quality um, air purifiers that you can put in individual rooms that may not have the best of um, filtration in them. They didn't teach any of these things in superintendent school, did they? You had to learn all no. this on the fly, right? Yeah, I, and I've done a lot of research over the last few months, and I've got some great HVAC uh, technicians and Daryl Shaver who have been uh, teaching me, I've even reached out to some of our different HVAC providers, and they've given me a lot of lessons. And no, I didn't think about any of that when I went to school to be a third grade teacher, and then to superintendent school later on. We did not have any, uh, really, any operations and maintenance classes 
at all. So it's really interesting to learn and and just be up on all of it and make sure that we're doing the right things for our students and staff. And continuing to do it with each new challenge as it arises. Superintendent Jennifer Gill, thanks as always for your time. We greatly appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Hey, thanks. Uh Bye-bye.